You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, and uh, hopefully everybody's week has been going A-OK. Um, I'm sure you can tell by the title of this podcast that uh, it's about poaching. Uh, so recently, I interviewed uh, a gentleman in West Virginia who was convicted of game violations, and what he did was he shot a buck, and then he went back out and shot another buck, and he only had one tag for it one tag and uh, he got in trouble for it and he pled guilty and he all this stuff you're going to hear in the podcast so what I would like is I'm going to post this I'm going to you know like I always do on Facebook and I would love to hear some of your guys's thoughts about the podcast and Stuff like, do you feel the punishment fit the crime? Do you believe in second chances? Do you think, um, you know, I don't know, just all your thoughts on something like this. Uh, and uh, I'm probably going to save a little bit of my uh, opinions towards the end of the podcast. But um, just listen to the story, listen all the way through, and then uh, head over to the Facebook page and uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and uh, leave a couple comments. Now, I know I got some uh, kickback from some guys um, saying that I shouldn't even be doing this podcast because it brings uh, press towards the uh, or attention towards such a negative thing, which I agree this was a negative thing. But I feel that in order to heal and understand, uh, you have to hear both sides of the story. So that's what my, my goal is anyway. So if I pissed you off, I'm sorry. Also, I let a couple bad words slide in this podcast. So it's like one or two. It's not, it's not just a bunch of F-bombs the entire uh, podcast, but just a heads up um, in case you do have children listening to this. So um, no commercial today. We're just going to get right into the podcast and uh, I guess let's get into it. 
All right. On the phone with me now is Cameron Stover. How you doing today, Cameron? I'm good. How are you, Dan? Can't complain. Um, just a quick reminder, you've you've been on this podcast before and um what what did we do? We did like a product review, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we did the gear wish list. Oh, the gear wish list. Yep. Okay. Yep. So we did the gear wish list, and you talked about um, all the all the gear that uh, you know as we as hunters want. And I received uh, a couple messages from some people, and those messages were, "Hey, this guy's a poacher," and they sent me some links and all, you know all this stuff. So um, I don't want to be that kind of podcast that goes out and has people on the show who are, you know, poachers, right? So I reached out to you and I said, Hey man, what's the deal? Is this true? You said, yes, it's true. And, uh, and that's kind of what is, has brought us to this, this conversation and this podcast. And I think what happened was I, I reached out to you, if I'm not mistaken, and I said, hey, man, this might be a good, a, you know, a good opportunity for you to maybe get some redemption on an otherwise really bad mistake. Correct. Yeah, okay. and I appreciate you giving me the platform to do that, Dan. Yep, yep. So, you know, there's a lot of questions I have. I mean, we've shared this story before uh, the podcast was recorded. You know, uh, I've read the... Um, the write-up in the newspaper uh, about the uh, the conviction and uh, and uh, you know all that all that stuff. But I think what we'll what we'll get into is we'll just get into the story, what happened, how it happened, and I'll probably just start throwing questions uh, to you. Um, you know the the why did you do it? The the you know what were you thinking? You know all that kind of stuff and. Um, and we'll just see where it goes. Uh, first off, I, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It does take balls for someone to admit when they're wrong. And uh, hopefully this will shine a little light out of an otherwise, you know, shitty situation. Yeah, I appreciate you being cool about it and working with me. Yeah, for uh, sure. All right, so... Right off the bat, why don't you just get into the very beginning of it? And I want I want you to tell it like a story. I don't want you to tell it like we're going to start when the DNR knocked at your door because it didn't start there, right? It started that same day at the you know very beginning of or earlier that season, right? You had already you had already tagged out on a buck, right? Yep. Uh- First thing first, we need to know the regulations and stuff. Um, I live in a bow-only county in southern West Virginia. So what that pretty much says is, hey, we don't have a gun season uh, due to a smaller population of white-tailed deer. Uh, and they've been protected. There are four counties in southern West Virginia that are archery only. Uh, and that's basically due to the lower numbers. And then uh, once those numbers kind of progressed a little bit, uh, we realized that, hey, we've got an older age class of deer. And the state's done a really good job protecting that older age class of deer and um, we're not overpopulated with deer. I mean, it, just this year alone, we had EHD come through and really put a hurt in the area that I hunt, the same area where this deer was killed. Okay. Um, so. so with this being a bow-only zone, 
Um, and I, you know, just from me being a bow hunter myself, I would assume that the quality of deer are better in your, in this zone, uh, from a, from a big racks standpoint. Uh, yes, there are, uh, anytime you're managing your herd, uh, to its fullest potential and, and it could be better. There, our buck to day ratio is still not where it needs to be. Uh, but you have the likelihood of having a little bit better quality of deer, but you also have the opportunity with archery only for those deer to last last a little bit longer than they would through a gun season because there's not as much pressure, um, and, and archery's a lot harder. I mean, I can shoot a deer with a rifle 200 yards. 40 yards is pretty good with a bow. So, I mean, it's a big difference. A lot, of, a lot more challenges in the terrain in which I was hunting is very rugged, very steep, uh, very rough terrain, okay. uh, to say the least. So are you hunting mostly on public ground or private ground? It's private ground, but it's not my private ground. Pretty much all, everything around here is owned by either a coal company, uh, a land company, a uh, timber company, something around that nature. And they're leasing out either the rights for the timber or they're leasing out the rights for the minerals for mining coal. Right. And there's a lot of property in our area that's being leased up privately and then there's a lot of that property that's not available to lease, and this is one of those areas where, um, as a local, I've, I've hunted it my whole life. Ever since I was a kid and I first picked up a, a shotgun uh, when I was five or six years old, um, this is the same area that I was hunting ever since then. Okay. So, so when does the, the archery season in the area that you hunt start? I think it's the last Saturday in September and runs through December 31st. Okay. All right. So this was a, uh, this is bow only. Um, so when did you harvest your, your first, the first buck you killed that, that year? The first buck I killed was November 15th, November 15th, uh, right in the right peak of the rut. Okay. All right. So you shot this buck and you know, all good and dandy. Um, were were you happy with this buck that you shot, this first buck that you shot? I was thrilled. I was ready to hang my hat on the season. It's the biggest buck I'd ever killed to date. It was 138-inch nine-point, five-and-a-half, six-and-a-half-year-old deer. Uh, awesome hunt. Uh, I couldn't have pictured, pictured a better hunt for it to take place. I mean, I seen the buck the day before, bedded down with the doe, uh, snuck in on the doe. I'm 20 yards of her. She's bedded down all evening long. Right before dark, she stands up, and the buck chases her off. Because um, he knew I was there, but she just didn't care. Um, so he was down the hill the whole time grunting and uh, making whole bunch of scrapes and rubs and stuff and putting on a good show. And once she hit her feet, man, she he took right off after her, and that was the last I seen of him. So the next morning, I went back in after him, um, went right to the same area and think, all right, I'm going to catch him coming back to bed. Well, he wasn't there. I go down to a lower level on the hill, and I walk around the bank, the logging road, and there they are in the middle of the road. And I draw back 40 yards. I'm like, I can't take the shot. It's a bad shot angle. Uh, definitely wasn't going to take that kind of risk on a buck that size, especially me never killing one. Um, and they split up. Luckily for me, he lost that doe. So what I did was I went in between where she went and where he was going and cut him off. Um, I ran just right in front of him. Uh, and he just couldn't do anything but lock the brakes up and just kind of wait for he. I don't know if he was waiting for me to get out of his way or what. But I found a hole and snuck an arrow in him and come back about four hours later and found him 
uh, found him dead in his fifth bed. Uh, he hadn't been pushed, and he was a tough buck full of adrenaline during the rut. And uh, in his fifth bed is where he was laying dead. Okay. So you shot this buck November 15th, um, and you did. You took all the proper precautions. You tagged it. You, does Kentucky have tags? No, this is West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. My, yeah, my bad. But yeah. West Virginia, yeah. they have uh, tags, and we, they have a reporting system, right? Yeah, you have a field tag, which you do in the field before you move the animal. And then once you get home, you, you do the telecheck or you can check them online. Um, at, in 13, you may have been able to go to a loca- physical location and check them in, but I think this was one of the first years or in the beginning of the telecheck phases, okay. if I'm not mistaken. So at this point, other than potentially shooting does, you're tagged out for the entire season, or do you, or do you have the opportunity at more bucks but just with different tags? Um, I'd already killed a doe. Logan County, you're allowed to kill one buck, one doe. I'd killed a doe. I killed a bear. You're allowed to kill two bears in certain counties. Uh, so I did have an extra tag for a bear, um, cause those are uh, just some counties you're allowed to kill two or not. And then I can go literally within five minutes of where I killed the first buck. I'm in a whole different county. So I, I'm really, I'm really close to that county line, uh, but not close enough to say, Hey, I could have killed this deer in Boone County, and I know I didn't. Yeah. Um, so I could have been hunting just another five-minute drive from the house and been in a whole different county with a whole different structure of deer. Uh, it's completely different when you cross that county line. Right. All right, so you shot this buck. What? And you're tagged out. So what brings you back to the timber again or back with – because you, you killed this other – the second buck with a bow as well, right? Correct. Okay. Um, that so, e- the evening that I killed the buck, the first buck, that nine point, I, I was celebrating. Hey, I posted on Facebook, look at me. I'm happy. I'm sending everybody pictures. I call up my cousin. I'm like, hey. Uh, and I've kind of mentored him along the way, teaching him little things and how to shoot a bow and all, all the way up to where he's at now. And I said, hey, now's the time to be in the woods. Um, so I talked him in. I said, hey, I'm going to put you in an area where I know I've been seeing a lot of deer. I said, we'll go in the morning. I said, but i got to get out of the woods early. Um, and get my deer the processor so he agrees and we start the next day on november 16th heading out for him him to get a deer okay so on all this property where where this entire story unravels you have permission to be on this property correct yeah okay so you have permission to be on where you shot your first buck and where you ended up killing the second buck right correct okay all right so you bring your you bring your cousin out and you're out in the woods so start the story up again from there all right morning starts we go out on the hunt um we didn't see anything probably 10 o'clock i said hey it's getting hot i need to get out of the woods and we we just head back to the house uh, i think we were probably hunting about 45 minutes from the house uh, the atv ride um so we were we were on our way back. Um, on the way back, um, I'm, I'm on one side of the ridge, like not a ridge, but logging road, and I look over to the other side and I see just this giant frame buck. Um, and this is this ain't ain't the first mistake. This is mistake number two. Uh, first mistake was bringing a bow with me. I, I could be out in the woods and take a kid hunting anytime you want to, but uh, right. if you don't have a tag, there's no point in having a bow with you. So I had so, a bow with me. So you had you had a weapon with you. Right. Correct. Uh, All right. And so here's where the question, some of these questions starts, right? 
Exactly. The, the the question, first question I have, and you know, you saw the Facebook post that I, I posted and there's also several other people who have questions like this as well, but knowing that you're tagged out, why, what was your reasoning? What was your thought process to even have a weapon with you? My initial thought process was, Hey, if he's young, if he shoots a deer, I want to be able to have my bow there to put that deer down. Um, yeah. I've always been one to say, hey, I don't want this deer to suffer. Whoever sticks an arrow in it, it's yours, but we're going to put this deer down and make sure it doesn't suffer or get away. Okay. Uh, that was my thought process at the time, but that was the wrong thought process to have. Yeah, for sure. All right. So yeah. um, you you saw this. Your, your, so that was mistake one, right? You had a bow Correct. with you, and you shouldn't have had any – really shouldn't have had any weapon with you. Um so you're with your cousin. You see this big bodied deer in the in the timber. Um, what happened from there? So we parked the four wheeler up behind this big log, and uh, I take grab my bow. He grabs his bow, and we're not necessarily stalking this deer. We're kind of just on a run, uh, adrenaline pumping. Hey, here's a butt in the middle of the rut. He's in a huge thicket above us. I know he's big, uh, and I'm pumped that I'm thinking, all right, my cousin's going to get a shot at this. And uh, we get all the way to 40 yards. This deer from 150 to 40 yards doesn't flinch, doesn't bat an eye, doesn't flicker an ear, lift a tail up. He just locks up. This buck's probably stood there a hundred times and watched people drive right by him or walk right by him. Uh, and he's just sat there. Uh, and he, that's his best defense in a big thicket is not to move. So right. we get within 40 yards of this deer. I finally find him. I see his shoulder sticking out, and that's it. Um, he's behind a big oak tree on part of his body the rest of it it's just too thick to even see a rack right. and if you've seen the picture of the deer you understand how big that rack is so right i start ranging this deer 40 yards i tell my cousin i said hey shoot him 40 yards and he just he kind of stares up at it he just looks he doesn't clip a release on a string he doesn't he doesn't react because he can't see this deer he's never seen the deer from the first time i i spotted it the whole way we run up to him stalking trying to get hurried up into that situation to get an arrow never sees it so finally he just looks at me and says i don't see it i look at him and don't hesitate i yeah. pull back i knock an arrow i pull back pull the string back and let an arrow go and i hear swack i hear the broadhead hit him D don't see the deer run i'm hoping okay i'm hoping at this point in time okay it didn't hit him reality's coming in maybe it didn't hit him maybe it didn't hit him so I panic. I'm like, all right, let's get, let's leave. So we walk back to the four wheeler. I try to get my bearings right. And, uh, we go back into the drain where he probably would have ran, uh, uphill and stuff. So I send my cousin up and said, Hey, if he goes up the hill, I said, if you can get an air in him, he says, your deer. I said, I don't care how big it is. I said, I don't know anything about it. I said, I'm going to sit right here. See what happens. Mm -hmm. It's really dry. The leaves are crunchy. He takes like 10 steps. The deer stands up out of his bed, falls down. He's dead before he hits the ground. Never flinches, never moves. And I turned around and looked at him and said, I'm going to jail. That's the first thing I said to him when that happened. I said, I'm going to jail. Okay. So I have screwed up in life way more times than the average person, me personally. Right. I've had, I've had an OWI. I've gotten arrested before all this, all this shit. And 
the mind, the mind at the time, you know, everybody wishes they could go back in time and redo what they've, they've done. Right. Um, so there's a period there where you get off the four wheeler, you're, you have your bow in your hand, you, you're stalking up to this buck. You have your bow in your hand, right? And yes, your thought yep. process was probably, you know, could have been, I'm going to try to get my cousin on this buck. Then you, you saw your cousin wasn't able to make the shot, right? Then Correct. there there's a switch there, right? Where you now are focused on killing this buck. You had, you said you had to knock an arrow. You had to draw back. You had to sight it, you know, get it into your sights. Although that is a very short relative period of time, I would think that for, for some people, you have the ability to realize that you're, you're making a mistake. You're, you're about to break the law. Did you have any type of, of those thoughts like, I'm, I'm going to break the law or, you know, if I do this, I'll break the law, but fuck it anyway? No, there was never even a thought. At this point in time, it's just an adrenaline rush. Hey, we're going to kill this deer. We're going to kill this deer. And then I made the the decision at that moment when he says he doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. That's when I make a conscious, conscious decision to say, okay, then if you can't do it, then I have to. Right. And the whole process before that, hey, you're tagged out, never crossed my mind. Right. Wasn't so, even a thought on my mind. Right. So – when it comes to something like that, right, we realize at that point it's not an accident, right? This wasn't, uh, right. right, this, you know, and, and this is just for the people who are listening. This this is no longer an accident. You made the choice to to shoot this buck and kill this buck knowing that it was going, yes, it was a reaction, but you made the, the decision to kill a deer that you didn't have a tag for, all right? So correct. you look at your cousin and you say, I'm going to jail, realizing now what you've done. Um, when, when you instantly, there's that realization, what else was going through your mind um, at that time? That was it. I just said, hey, I'm going to jail. I, I seen how big the deer was. I knew the mistake that I made. And I was like, there ain't no getting by with it. Right. There ain't no way you can hide it. There ain't no getting home without somebody seeing it or hearing about it. Right. So we... I leave, I leave the scene. I leave the scene of the crime, and I say, all right, let me go get my bearings. So I hop on the four-wheeler, we drive around, and I'm just trying to think, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Uh, and we come, we go right back to the deer and, uh, or to where we need to be to, to get towards the deer, and I call my buddy. Um, I said, hey, man, I, I shot the buck we had named, and I said, and we had seen this deer two years prior to it because at this point in time, I'd already walked up to him. I knew what deer it was. I called my buddy up and I said, Hey, he's dead. I said, you need to come look at it. Um, I owe that to you. I said, and we weren't the only ones hunting it. I, I was probably the first person to know about it, judging by sheds and pictures in the summer. And then we got into it hunting this deer and stuff. And the next year, other people started finding out about it and seeing the deer. And then 2012 went by. Nobody seen him that I knew of. He wasn't alive in my book. 2013 rolls around and he's laying in the ground in front of me. A day after I'd already shot another buck. Right. And yeah, that, that's a, per, that's pretty good, uh, useful information. This all happened in 2013. Correct. 2013, okay. 2012, uh, this buck, I didn't know it was alive. In 2011, I hunted this deer really hard. Uh, this was the target deer. I had a shed to him the year before he, he was 165 and 
2010, he was in that range. He was in the 170s. 2011, 2012, couldn't tell you. Didn't right. know he was alive. In 2013, he's 180. Yeah. Gross. Okay. So you shoot him. You're standing over top of him. Then at this point, you know, are you deciding whether or not you should instantly fess up and call the DNR or are you at this time thinking about how can I get away with it? Oh, there, there was no calling and telling on myself at this point in time. Absolutely not. It was panic situation. How do I get away with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just the bottom truth of it. I mean, when, when you're in trouble, there ain't, ain't too many times in life where you just say, all right, I'm going to go ahead and call the cops before they for me before I start speeding. Right. You, know, you, you speed and you get you only get you're only speeding when you get caught. So right. my thought process was, all right, get this deer home, get a tag, get it butchered. Nobody knows about it. Okay. So how did how then did you did was it your cousin who got did you place your cousin's tag on this deer or? Because you were trying to get it butchered, were you going to butcher itself, or were you going to take it to a processor? I was going to take it to a processor. Okay. Now, do, do processors in West Virginia, For I know where I'm at, there has to be a tag on every deer. Correct. Plain and simple, I just lied. Flat out, I lied to my processor. Okay. And you you told them that, uh, um, you know, this was my first buck of the year? Yeah. Okay, and he bought it. Yep, didn't know anything different. Okay, so up to this point, you've drug him out of the woods. You've got it to the processor. Um, you know, my my next question is: you kind of put your 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 cousin in a in a tight spot, right? You yep. you put him in a, a situation where where now he's kind of an accessory to a crime without really wanting to be an accessory to the crime, right? He, he didn't have a decision. You just you you Correct. up and you up and did, committed that crime right in front of him. What was was he worried? Was he nervous? Like he was going to get in trouble too? He's pretty quiet. He he didn't say it, but yeah, I'm sure he was. Um, he, he's young. The worst part about it is the influence of right. Hey, your, your cousin that you probably look up to just killed the biggest buck you've ever seen in your entire life. Right. Illegally. And he's probably going to get away with it because when we're sitting there looking at it in the woods, hey, it's just me and him. Right. That's it. So there's there's a big problem. Hey, I'm supposed to be his mentor and teaching him the rights and the wrongs, and I show him the wrong way real quick. Right. Okay. So you you got this to the the uh, the processor right and. It's a 180-inch deer, and I, my assumption is uh, 180, really anywhere, is big, but it's really big for West Virginia. Oh, absolutely. All right. Uh, you go outside of the uh, outside of the bow-only counties, and you're lucky if you see Pope and Young deer. There, there are great deer in West Virginia, don't get me wrong, all over the state. Genetics are here, but you got a three-buck limit in areas where you should not have three-buck limits, so they don't get to grow. Logan right. County, Mingo County, these counties, they get a chance to grow. Um, and this buck's a once in a lifetime deer. I mean, he was without the drop time, he was state record. Um, yeah. And they told me that after I, I mean, I talked to the NR several times um, after that, but 
they talked to me and it, we knew it was potential state record without the drop time. Okay. So you, did you bring the deer to the butcher with the head on it still? Yeah, it was yeah. full, full, full deer. Um, okay. I had, I probably shot this deer at 10 o'clock by 12, two, two o'clock. I had him at the processor. Okay. So did you bring your first buck to that processor as well? Okay, so did he know then at that point that you were lying to him, or did how did he how did he know that you know because a guy comes in to butcher with a buck, and then he, um, and then he brings in another even more gigantic buck the next day, and there there's got to I mean for me that would raise some kind of question. He he didn't question it. Um... And that's probably him being just a nice guy and thinking that I've got a little bit of integrity in me and I wouldn't put him in that situation. But the truth of the matter is, I I thought if I don't have possession of this deer, then I'm not going to get caught. Um, So the quicker I get it into your hands, the quicker I can wash my hands with it and I can forget about it. Okay. Um, All right. So after that, you go home, right? You yep, I'm home. Um, I talked to my mom, talked to my now wife, and I said, hey, this is what I've done. This is the potential consequences. I may go to jail. And I said, this isn't just a normal normal thing. This is really big. Uh, yep. And if I get caught, I said, I'm probably going to jail. Right. Were you getting? Were you starting to get really worried at this point? Yeah, you, you do. You, you get sick. I mean, I was worried from the minute the era hit. Uh, I knew the consequences. Um now, granted, if that was a spike, nobody in the world would probably said anything. Nobody in the world would probably reported it, and the DNR may not have checked in on it. Right. I don't hold that against anybody, regardless of the size. It, when you take two deer, one without a tag, there's a fine there. Uh, right. There's a penalty that's got to be paid. Uh, right. But when you have a larger deer, there's going to be more attention. There's going to be uh, more, you want to call it jealousy, you want to call it anger, animosity towards especially somebody that like me that, that takes this deer from other hunters uh, that are hunting this deer, of course they're going to report it. Uh, right. And of course the DNR are going to pay special attention when you say, hey, there's a 180-inch deer out here that's not, uh, that's been killed illegally. So they're yeah. going to pay special attention to it. So I'm going to kind of, you know, speaking of other hunters, right? Um, right. Oh, man, this was a long time ago. I had a giant buck that I was playing cat and mouse with. I'd, I'd put him in the typical, he was, I think it was a typical 10 somewhere around the 160 class. Maybe, I don't know if he was quite 170, but I, I'd been playing cat and mouse with him in this particular draw in late October, early November one year. And I made a move to where I felt I was going to have a encounter with him that following morning. Um, because in the evenings he would come out to this uh, field edge, he'd loop around, whatever. So the next morning, I'm in my headlamps, right? I got my headlamp on. I'm walking, walking down to the uh, to the, the tree stand that I had just moved, set up, and not a single deer comes by me that entire morning. I get out of my tree stand and walk back to. Uh, the road and I see something moving in the bushes, right? It's like some raven or some crows eating on something. And I walk up to it and it is a giant gut pile, right? And 
this particular buck was not on trail camera anymore after that. He was not on, um, uh, you know, he was not, I didn't see him again that season. So I had this gut feeling that he was, someone spotlighted him from the road that evening and shot him and killed him. And I was furious. Like I, I like, I called the DNR. I said, is there anything we can do? Like I wanted to make sure that whoever did this got what they deserved. Did, you know, when, when you talk about other hunters, did you think for it? Did you think at all about how you would have felt if you were making moves on this buck for an entire season and then someone took him illegally, how you would feel? Oh, I would have been all right. Uh, Same situation you were in. Uh, Where where I'm from, where I'm hunting, it's not unlikely that uh, a deer shot off an ATV. There's a lot more people around the area that are road hunting and hunting shooting deer at night and things like that then there are people sitting in a tree stand with a bow i can assure you yeah uh, so, so the competition is very fierce right so from an outside perspective you are the same as those people right do you can absolutely I mean, do you consider yourself i mean do you consider yourself in the same category as, as those people yeah you have to uh, at the end of the day i mean before that absolutely not i, yeah. I hated it i hate the word I hate the idea of somebody poaching deer, especially deer that I loved and hunted so much and the area that I was in. And it's not uncommon to be coming back from your tree stand midday and you pass five ATVs and they've got their double head and they got a guy with a bow on the back with an air knock. Uh, and that's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, so now I have to classify myself with the same exact people that are going around at night shooting them with a spotlight because the definition of a poacher is not well well he poaches with a bow so it's okay no it's not okay it doesn't matter if you do it at night with a gun with a spotlight with a bow at 10 o'clock in the morning the definition is still the same in the book it's a call a poacher right Um, and that's one of the hardest things to explain to people because at first when all this come out and this got really big um in the area where I'm from, there was people from five different states contacted me personally asking about the deer. So that's how big this story got because of the size of this deer. And there was another deer killed in the state in the area that was just as big. Um, so it, it got a lot of attention and the DNR did a really good job publicity using this for publicity as far as poaching and stuff. And they, it was a great tool for them and props to them. Um, but yeah, it, it was, it was tough. Okay. So you're sitting at home, you told your wife, you told your, uh, you told your mom, uh, but then, you know, you told them, you know, I, I messed up really bad. I could go to jail and ultimately what happened? Well, Saturday evening comes around, not a big deal. I'm sweating, but nothing happens. Sunday morning comes around, haven't heard anything. Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, I hear a knock on the front door, and I know. At 5 o'clock on Sunday, I hear a knock at the door, and my heart stops. And I can I remember looking over and said, well, I know who's at the door. And I walked outside, and it was three DNR officers. Right. And okay. they didn't greet me with a smile. <laughs> right. So what did uh, what was that conversation like? What was, uh, I mean, what was your... At this point, they knock on the door. They know you're involved somehow. I want to know, how did they figure this out? And number two, I want to know, were you still 
like when you heard the knock on the door, were were you going to just say, yep, it was me, I did it, or were you still figuring out ways to get out of it? No, and this is like the best part for me at the story right here. Um, if there's any retribution, if there's anything that happens, uh, when they come up to the door, they didn't ask me a single question except for, are you Cameron Stover? They knew who I was when I opened the door. They did that for record. I said, yeah. And uh, they said, do you know why we're here? And I said, yep, because I, I killed a deer and I, I told them everything. I spilled everything. They didn't yeah. ask another question except for, do you know why we're here? And yeah. I told them everything about it. And they just said, I gave them a written statement. They, they gave me my, my piece of the paper that said I was pre- uh, have this many charges against me for illegal possession of wildlife and exceeding the season bag limit and all this stuff and told me the potential repercussions of what I'd done. Um, so they were really nice. They were cordial. They, they weren't good cop, bad cop. It wasn't a you're the scum of the earth. It's, Hey, let's get the facts. What happened? Let's talk about it. Let's, let's get a statement. Let's, let's not put it behind us, but you know, you screwed up. Right. right. And, so then at that point, what were all the violations that they charged you with? Uh, see, illegal possession of wildlife, hunting without a tag. That I don't know the official name for that one. Exceeding the season bag limit, and I, I don't know the fourth one. Okay, it, they were kind of redundant. They were the, the kind of those. There was a couple charges that were kind of like overlap. I got gotcha. you. So they ended up, they were dropped. Okay, so. You confessed, and because you confessed and brought, you know, you didn't make them have to go through any more mumbo jumbo. Did were they lenient with you as far as the charge was like charges were concerned, or did you have to face the full brunt of uh, the a punishment or jail time or fine? No, uh, I wasn't like what I would define arrested or. Uh, jailed or anything like that the actual term for arrested you, you see the, the article i'm sure you read it and it says logan county man arrested for killing a big buck that's not true uh, their definition of arrested is giving me a ticket or a citation so yeah that, that's the definition that i struggled with a lot when um people started talking about it's like oh man did you hear about camera getting arrested no i got a ticket um yeah. so definitions are a little bit different from what you would think right um but no that they were I didn't get jail time. Uh, I won't say they were lenient because I got the maximum uh, penalty that you could get as far as that goes. Uh, I'm sure it could have been a lot worse, especially yeah. if I'd have lied. Um, had, had I lied and said no, that I didn't do it, I'm sure it would have gotten a lot worse and they could have dug a lot deeper and uh, pressed a lot more charges against me. But um, I was truthful. I didn't lie about it in that situation. Uh, yet, did I lie before? Yeah, absolutely. When I killed the deer, I lied to myself. Um, that I, I thought I could get away with it, and I thought it was okay. Um, but in that situation, um, I, I tried to make the best of it, of a bad situation. Uh, I didn't want to make it any worse on myself. Um, so, What did you end up having to pay for fines? $3,070.50. Okay. Do you feel that that – did you lose your license at all? Uh, no, actually I didn't. And they could have took my license. They, they didn't take my weapon. They didn't take my bow. They didn't ask to see that. Um, I think because I was probably truthful about it and they didn't have to go in and spend more tax dollar, taxpayer dollars investigating a crime that they knew that I'd committed. 
um, and I knew that I had committed. Um, so right. the crime was there. The punishment was there. All right. So, so basically all you had to do is pay a fine, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. And they take the deer, they paid, the, um, and I paid the fine. I had to go to court. I had, I had to go through that. I pled guilty in court to, with a magistrate judge. Um, I didn't go to court and say, Hey, I didn't do this or try to make a, a, a big scene. It was just like, Hey, where do I write the check? Yeah. Gotcha. So, all right. So and let's move on. All right. So you, you pled guilty, right? You fessed up, you owned yep. up to it. You paid your fine. Do you feel that you got off? Um, like, do you feel that the, the, the punishment fit the crime or do you feel that if the shoe was on the other foot and let's say it was me who did exactly what you did, but I was hunting in the same neighborhood as you, do you feel I should have, I would have, I should have gotten more punishment? No, I mean, I'm not a repeat offender. This isn't the first time I've, or this is the first time I've been in trouble. I'm not a guy that's, uh, out here doing a whole lot of bad stuff. Uh, I don't want to put off that, hey, look at me, I'm a good guy. I didn't deserve this. Yeah, I deserved it. Um, And I deserved every bit of that $3,000 fine and losing a buck of a lifetime and the public shame. Uh, You can look at all the the financials of it and and all that. That's one thing, but the the, really the public embarrassment is probably worse. Uh, That's the hardest thing. It's it's 2017, we're still talking about it. And it ain't just because we're on this podcast. I was in Houston, Texas, on friday evening and it came up in conversation when i met somebody that i hadn't seen in years in houston texas at an airport yeah they're like oh yeah this is the guy he killed that big buck and it was oh they should i hate that that happened that was such a big buck i, I would have done it too or that conversation that keeps coming up right but right. it's not that, that's when you got to correct somebody and say hey potion's poaching i i did crime i paid the time I, now's my time to get back and uh, kind of right these wrongs Right. So I got a, right. So I got a a question here. I'm going to pull off Facebook from a guy and this is in regard and I'm just going to read it. Right. Uh, when someone who hunts and gets caught poaching, their credibility is massively undermined. Even legit kills now will be viewed by many as poached. So, so it goes on to basically say, what are you going, what are you doing to regain your credibility within your community or your local local hunting circle so that, you know, when you pull into a coffee shop or a gas station, people aren't going, Hey, there's that piece of shit, Cameron. They're going, Hey man. Yeah. He, he messed up, but he's, 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 you know, trying to right his wrongs. Well, I'm here on your podcast today to talk about it. I'm not hiding from it. That's, yeah. that's one of the biggest things. When it does come up in conversation, I don't shy away from it and try to say that, yeah, it sucks. I lost the deer of a lifetime. Boo-hoo, look at me. This yeah. is not my deer. Uh, that's not me. Now, that credibility is something that you earned. It's not something that's given. Uh, and it's not something I get back tomorrow um, just because we did a podcast or just because it's Tuesday. Um, it's something that takes a long time. I've got a lot of friends and stuff like that right now that are they're starting their own, their own outdoor channels and kind of making their way through the industry. And I have to sit back and watch them do that um, because I know they can't associate their name with mine because of my past. And don't get me wrong. um, Not everybody's turning their backs on me. There's, uh, there's companies out there that have welcomed me in 
with open arms and hey here's your second chance uh we know you screwed up and there's there's people out there that have been really nice and there's not a whole lot of people that have bad things to say about me personally yeah. um there's a lot of people out there that would um would, would stick up for me in this regard and saying hey this this guy loves to hunt he's a hunter he loves the animals that he hunts in the land and respects it um so I, i'm not too concerned about people that know me it's yeah. the people that don't know me mm-hmm. um and that's that's really the biggest thing is if you knew me personally before and after, you would have said, man, that guy would have never done that. Um, yeah. And I can tell you one thing. The DNR told me in the uh, when they were talking to me in my driveway that day when they wrote me the tickets and come to the house, uh, they said, whoever turned you in, they wouldn't, they don't give names or anything like that. Mm-hmm. They said – they looked me in the eye and said, if you ask him, he's going to tell you the truth. He'll tell you exactly what he did, and he knows right, he knows that, that he did yeah. wrong. He just made a mistake, and and I did, but that was a conscious mistake that I made. So yeah. props to whoever turned me in and said that. Thanks for saying something nice about me, and uh, yeah, I don't hold it against anybody because I'd have done the same thing. I would have I would have turned you in, Dan, if we were both in this situation and yeah, I was on sure. the opposite end of it. Don't get me wrong. Right. No, understood. I, you know, and that's the thing. It's If there can be an, an educational – you know, so here comes another story to mind that I can I can relate to, and this was, oh man, I want to say 2008, right? I had I you know what was it? I'm looking at my, the bucks on my wall right now. 2000, yeah, I think it was 2008. Shot a buck, and the next week I went out to the timber, and I was going to shoot one more doe because I had enough I had enough room in my freezer for one more doe. And this, this huge eight pointer comes strolling by my, my tree stand. And I thought real long and hard about it. You know, I thought, okay, so what could, could, could I, could I do this? Could I, could I get away with it? What, you know, could, you know, all these thoughts come in your head because it's a gigantic buck, right? I mean, there it's, it's that, it's that bait that's put out there in front of you, so to speak. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't shoot the buck and, uh, it would have been one of the biggest bucks that I have on my wall today. And, you know, I just, I decided not to make that decision. Um, but there's other people out there every year who do make that decision and, you know, they cover it up or whatnot. Is there any type of advice or, um, I guess, words of wisdom or anything that you can say on that to where you don't, you know, trying to tell people not to pull the trigger when a a situation like that occurs. Well, the first thing is you got to know the regulations and rules that you're involved in Uh, as with any sport, as with any um, law that you have to work, you have to be aware of that regulation first. Was I aware of mine? Absolutely. Um, The second part is, you have to come in with a mindset and maturity, and I use the word maturity here. Is hey, if you're tempted with that, can you put it down? It's the same thing with alcohol. If you know you can't stop, say no to that next drink, don't put yourself in a bar expecting alcohol to be around you. Yeah. Um, if you know you're going to be in a tree stand and you're not going to be able to pass on that deer, don't put yourself in that situation. Same thing with me. What I should have done, I should have left my bow at home. Should I have taken my cousin out the next day and helped him get an opportunity to deer? Absolutely. That's what we do as hunters. Our job is to pass 
our sport down to the next generation. Our job is to protect it and the animals in which we hunt. Um, but if you're not going to be able to be strong enough to pass that opportunity up, you got to leave the weapon at home. And, and that's where I messed up <laughs> big time. Gotcha. So, you know, are you take, are you taking any active steps in your local community or hunting group currently to right your wrong or, you know, pull your name out of the mud, so to speak? As far as being involved with any groups, no. Uh, I did reach out the other day to a guy that was, he's appointed, I don't, I don't remember what his name is, but he was appointed by the new governor of West Virginia to form a committee, um, like a sportsman's alliance committee. And they're supposed to take in different ideas and group uh, from different groups. And, and I didn't know this guy. I just tracked him down on Facebook and said, hey, this is this is who I am. This is what I've done. I told him about my violation and said, hey, if there's any way that I can help you guys from a perspective of, hey, here's a poacher that's trying to do something good with his life and, and turn this around. I said, please let me have that opportunity. I said, I do feel like I could be an asset to you guys. And we had a little conversation, and he respected my opinion and thanked me for being honest right up front. And, and uh, after talking with him, that opportunity's not there. It's not because, hey, I'm a poacher and I can't be associated with it. it I, I don't fit the criteria of what he's looking for. He's looking for um, Rock, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, those type of people. So uh, I jumped the gun on that one. But, yeah, I'm always looking for something to be active in. Um, I just haven't found my niche yet. Um, I just moved – um, this year so i'm in a new area um so i really don't even know the people around me uh, that are hunters and stuff so i've been trying to reach out and meet new people and uh, yeah i kind of shy away from my background um, from time to time but it, it comes up um, the more you get to know people if you greet somebody with a smile and says hi my name's cameron stover and i'm a poacher uh, people try to turn away from, <laughs> turn away from that but when they get to know you and be like, "Hey, yeah, I did, I did do this," and you start talking about it, and you, you tell, explain the situation, and you're like, "Yeah, I screwed up, but I realize now what the right thing to do was, and and I know not to do that again, and and how to tell other people that, hey, just because you shoot a deer with a bow doesn't, or something else, it doesn't make it right. Uh, there's a lot of us that are guilty of doing something. It's right. just a matter of how we've been caught. Um, right. So, so you know. All these listeners to this podcast, the people who wrote those questions on Facebook, all that stuff, they are, you know, some of them could say, you know what, this guy made a bad mistake. He paid his dues. And if he doesn't, uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't do it again. You know, maybe we'll give him a, give him a, a second shot. Then you got those other people out there who are like, once a poacher, always a poacher, right? I mean, I got guys on here telling me that I shouldn't even have you on my podcast, that they don't care what you have to say. You're still, you know, it, it doesn't matter. You're still in that category for them. What do you have to say to, I guess, all the listeners of this podcast or the people, you know, that are on Facebook or to, to the people who are, are still judging you based off what you did in 2013? Well, Everybody's entitled to their opinion. Yeah. Um, that, that's what makes America great. Um, so, but with that, you have to have the facts. The facts are: yes, I poached a deer. Yes, I did it wrong. Um, yes, I was a bad example to other hunters, especially someone that I was supposed to mentor and guide um, into this sport that we all love. Um, 
but to turn your back on a, on another hunter that's still trying to right their wrong and try to do things right and be a positive influence for other people. It's not necessarily wrong, wrong, uh, the right thing to do, but I can't hold that against anybody because I know when I look at somebody that I know is a poacher, I know somebody that, that shot a deer at night or spotlight or some people that have bad reputations or guys that are driving underneath me on a four-wheeler while I'm sitting in a tree stand. I, I know how I look at them. Um, so I'm not going to hold anything against someone for looking down at me. Um, I, I really felt bad. Uh, for putting you in this situation, Dan, for being here in the first place. I mean, I, I'm sitting here following along with the questions and all the questions that these guys were um, putting on Facebook today on, on your post. And uh, a lot of them were saying, hey, man, we respect you, Dan, but we don't, we're not interested. I can't believe you would do this. And it, it takes a lot for you to put yourself in that situation and say, you know what, I, I'm going to see what this guy has to say and see what – what we can do to enlighten other people and so we're not in this situation and they're not in that situation because next time it may not be hey you killed a giant buck it may be hey you're baiting a deer in iowa and a state that you're not allowed to bait deer in or you're putting minerals in you're still a poacher uh, that definition is still the same regardless of whether you've harvested animal or not that isn't that classified the same um, what in your state dan um yeah yeah i mean minerals you can't hunt over a mineral station you can't bait um you can have mineral stations and you can feed deer throughout the season you just can't hunt on trails leading to it or over it so and that's a gray area determined by the uh the the dnr office so yeah but you know at the end of the day um you've admitted to a mistake and you're you know you're you're working your way out of out of that hole do you feel that you've made strides um as i guess being a better representative of the sport um it's not that you were a shitty one to begin with but you know your reputation definitely has a blemish on this because i mean there's there's a couple questions like you know if an anti-hunting group got a hold of a story like this they could use that against all hunters right so do you do you feel that you're working your way out of this hole you put yourself in? That's my goal. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to fight with this the rest of my life. Five years from now, nobody in the world may know about it. They may all forget, but I won't. Yeah. Um, my goal was to give something back. Um, I remember what, when I got fined and I paid all that money and I thought, man, where's all this money going to go to? Um, I wanted to go to something good, and I was looking for another way to spend that money. Yeah, I wanted that fines was fine, no big deal, but I would love to see what that money did for the state. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought elk into West Virginia, not we, but the state of West Virginia brought in a herd of elk this year. I'd, I'd love to sit here and say the $3,000 that I paid the state in 2013 paid for one of those elk, but the truth of the matter is what I, my crime that I committed didn't do a whole lot of good. It didn't do good for anybody. Uh, yeah. except for me it, it put me in my place and said hey the definition of a poacher is the same whether you're you're doing it with a gun or with a bow it, it doesn't really matter when you cross that line there's no going back yeah. so out of all this um you you know the deer's dead right the dnr um they took the they took the head from you. Did they end up mounting it and like doing anything with it? Because it's a gigantic buck for your state. Yep. Yeah. When they were interviewing me 
when we when they first come to the house i said whatever you guys do i said you have to mount this deer i said whatever it costs to mount it i said i'll pay for it i said i'll do whatever it takes i said because this deer deserves it i said this is a special deer it's a special deer to me it was a special deer to a lot of people uh and this is a world-class deer um, what they did do um, there was a i guess a local taxidermist donated um, that mount to the state uh, and now they display it each year at the west virginia hunting and fishing show that's one time they bring it in and let the public see it at this big, large hunting convention that we have in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, they had to do what's called the Hall of Shame. And uh, you can guess whose buck's right in the middle of it. And uh, I sent you a picture of it. You're yep. free to use that. Um, but, yeah, my, that's that's the deer. That, that one's mine. And, and I go back every year. I, I don't shy away from that. When I walked up to the booth this year, um, one of the officers that were at my house, I, I couldn't remember his name at the time, but I know it, I know it now. And he... Uh, he greeted me and said, hey, Cameron, how you doing? I'm like, man, I I'm never going to get away from this. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but we sit and we had a conversation like normal people, uh, like a hunter, <laughs> like two hunters would have. Uh, and this is the relationship that I've tried to build now is, hey, before I, I didn't I didn't really care what the DNR did because I didn't see him doing a whole lot of good because uh, i never seen him. Uh, yeah. Now I'm a little bit more observant. I'm looking, I'm communicating with local DNR officers, uh, not just a hunting and fishing show when I'm looking at a deer that I killed. Uh, but on a personal note too, say just just checking up and saying, "Hey man, I, I I'm still not doing stupid stuff," <laughs> um, and just trying to make sure that I don't cross that line again. And it, it kind of keeps me in check. Uh, and just doing this podcast, uh, I wouldn't have done it had I not talked to some influential people uh, with the DNR and stuff. To me personally, that that just kind of said, "Hey, <laughs> we don't care what you do," uh, but that's that's all it took for me because. Uh, you got to look for them as guidance as a, as a hunter those are the ones enforcing the law so you, you got to respect them uh, and now i have a respect for them uh, that they've certainly earned uh, but they earned it way before i got into this picture too so yeah props to those guys all right so basically the the mic you know the 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 floor is yours with any last comments that you want to say uh, I want again thank you, Dan, for the opportunity. Uh, you didn't have to do this. You, you could have just scratched my name off the books and said, uh, forget that guy, but you didn't. Um, so uh, on a personal note, I want to personally thank you um, So for doing that for me. As far as the listeners, um, you, you guys, if you made it this far into the podcast when you heard that it was about poaching and listening to some guy from West Virginia talk about the time he screwed up, um, you form your own opinion. Uh, um, but when you form that opinion, um, don't put yourself in my shoes. Don't be that guy. Uh, don't be the guy that takes a bow into the woods tomorrow and sets a bad example for someone else. It, it may not be a deer. It, it may be a simple thing with uh, shooting a, a grouse out of season or a pheasant or something like that, and you got your kid with you. Uh, don't set that example. Uh, and, and it happens. It's no different than driving down the road and speeding. Uh, you set an example for the people that are around you, um, when you get behind the wheel. So everything that you do in life will be criticized by those that are closest to you. And the ones that you don't want to see that say, do as daddy says, not as daddy does. And how many times have we heard that growing up? So do the right thing when nobody's looking because that is when character is made. Those decisions that you make in, those, in that situation when nobody's looking and you don't think you're going to get caught, that's when it matters you can say all you want i can sit on this podcast and tell you sky's blue grass is green but when i turn around and i walk off 
end of the woods, am I going to make the right decision? Yeah, you can look at me right now, Dan, and if we were face-to-face and I can tell you, yes, I'm going to make the right decision because I learned my lesson. Uh, so if there's anybody out there on the on the borderline that says, hey, I, I got by with killing one too many does or I didn't check one in this year, um, and, and that happens a lot. I'm sure it does. It happens all over state or I checked it in a different county. I can't tell you how many people told me, man, you should have checked that deer in in Boone County. They got a gun season. You can kill two bucks with a bow five minutes away. Why didn't you check it in there? Was it done me any good? I still done it. Was I concerned about getting in trouble? Absolutely. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. I was ready to pay the consequences for it. Um, but it was a load off my shoulders when they showed up to my house. Um, and I didn't hide from it then. The minute they left my house, I remember opening my laptop up. I typed up a huge article. that said, hey, this is what I've done, this giant post. And it went viral real quick. I put a picture on the deer and said, hey, DNR just left my house. I'm getting fined for this. This is why I shot a deer with a boat. I am a poacher right here and there within three minutes of them leaving my house. I was already posting it on Facebook because I wasn't scared to tell the truth then. But at the time before I got caught, absolutely. I tucked my tail and hid. So, um, Well, there's carried, that. Go ahead. Yeah. So. There's that. All right, man. Well, you know. Hopefully, you know, obviously, uh, you've, you've, it sounds to me like you've learned from your, your, uh, mistake and, you know, just for, I guess me and my final words are, you know, if you're, I can, I can understand why a guy would, would be sitting in a tree stand or in a ground blind or whatever. And a giant walks by, I've had those same thoughts. I didn't seal the deal on you know i didn't follow through with that temptation there's guys out there who do but um i'm really you know just everybody needs to think long and hard about the decisions that they make in the field whether you're thinking about committing a a crime for the first time or this is your 17th or 18th you know you know not necessarily convicted violation if you're a repeat offender it has repercussions not only on you and other hunters but on you know, the animals that we hunt. And ultimately it's all about the animals that we hunt. So. Yep. Yeah, you're exactly right, Dan. I know one of the hardest things that I've dealt with um, through all this was giving anti-hunters fuel to fight their fire. Um, I can't tell you how many people, these anti-hunters, they're very violent people when they're on Facebook and when they're on the internet, uh, they, they can put a lot of death threats out there. You'd be surprised. Um, but looking back on that, man, that, that's got to be one of the hardest things to say that I gave them fuel to fight a war against us as hunters. And as a sportsman, I cherish the sport that I hunt. The animals that I chase, I love it. I love the land that I'm on. Um, I'm not one to even throw trash out. I'm, I'm picking trash up on the way home. Uh, not every time, no, but if I see it, I'm going to go out of my way to do it. And, and it's because I respect not only the sport, and yes, I've made a huge tarnish on my record and everything else, but I've also made a tarnish on the entire sport of hunting, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so the little things we do, nobody sees those. The good things we see, the only time we're talked about as a sport is when we screw up. And there's bad apples out there that ruin it for us, uh, me included. I mean, I'm I'm the guy. I'm the guy that you can look at and said I ruined it for you guys. I gave them fuel to fight you guys. So uh, make sure you make the right decision when you're in the woods next time. Right, right. Now, I just want to 
leave with you and what you would like to say to, let's say there's guys out there who maybe listen to this and they are repeat offenders, whether it's for deer or turkey or fishing violations or, you know, taking mushrooms from a piece of property that they're not supposed to take mushrooms from. You know what I mean? Is there anything that you would like to say to those people? You may go your entire life and never get caught. You might do it. It happens all the time. I'm, I'm sure it does. You might lie your way out of it. DNR might show up at your house tomorrow and say, hey, we've had reports of you killing one too many deer or trespassing on pri- private property that you don't have permission to trespass on. So what are you going to do? What are you going to say in that situation? Or the influential people in your life, people that look up to you, find themselves in that shoes and say, well, daddy did it. It's okay for me to do it because mommy did it. Daddy got by with it or my uncle got by with it so I can do it too. How many people in your life are you affecting by the actions that you take each day? So if you are one of those guys, I hope it catches up to you. But if it doesn't, guess what? You're still going to have a conscious battle to fight. You may not fight it today, but there's going to come a day in your life that you're going to have to fess up to those situations that you put yourself in. As a hunter, if you love the game that you play, the animals that you chase, the land that you hunt on, you have to make a decision at some point in time to say enough's enough. It's time to put down the bow. I've tagged out. It's time to tag this deer in. There's a lot of guys out there that are killing deer. They're only killing the amount of deer that they're supposed to kill, but they're not checking them in. They're taking them straight home, butchering them, and you think, that's okay. It's still poaching. It's still poaching, guys. All right. Well, Cameron, I really appreciate you taking uh, the time and the balls to come on this uh, show and and talk about this. Um, Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate you. And there you have it. Um, Hopefully you guys enjoyed that conversation. Hopefully it uh, got your brain working a little bit. And um, like I said, feel free to go to the, uh, the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and uh, leave some comments on on this post about what you're thinking after you've heard this podcast, right? Um, whether you are a once a poacher, always a poacher type of guy, or if you are a, a you know a person who believes in second chances, or you know, or you're somewhere in the middle. Um, I'd love to to hear that. You know, I'm I'm a little bit convi- uh, conflicted myself. I don't know that if that guy, you know, if a guy like that, I'm not saying Cameron, but if a guy like that was my neighbor, I could I could trust him on a neighboring hunting property, or if he hunted the same property as me or in the same area. I guess there would be a little part of me that would always wonder, you know, did he is he is he living the straight and narrow life anymore. Um, but I am also, uh, a proponent of second chances, uh, not every time, but on, on some things. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know if this is a, a second chance scenario type of, for me, um, it would definitely take time, you know, time heals all wounds. But when I think w- when it comes to poaching, 
there are people that are so passionate about this sport and the love of the animals that when you take it for granted and just make the, the conscious decision to commit a crime against, you know, our passions that a lot of people get really fired up and they want to make sure that you don't get the opportunity to even hunt again. And, um, you know, there's certain states I know in, in Iowa, uh, for example, that you can have your truck taken away. You can have your license stripped for the rest of your life. I don't even think you can buy a fishing license. Uh, if you make any type of fishing violations, they can take away your truck. They can take away your boat. They can take away everything. They can go search your house. They can seize assets. I mean, so getting into that portion of it, it's not even worth it because if you get busted, you know, you have all the legal implications, but the bigger implication is that if you do love hunting or enjoy hunting at all, that will be taken away from you. So no antler size, no, no rack, whether it's 130 inches or 230 inches is worth it. If you ask me and you know, think Cameron kind of eluded to it, but he's going to be wearing that scarlet letter potentially for the rest of his life because he has he made that decision. And, uh, you know, hopefully that never happens again with him. And, uh, you know, hopefully that message to some of you who Maybe, I don't know if you've ever thought about it because like the story in the uh, podcast that I shared uh, about having the temptation to do those things, um, you know, hopefully the character shines through and uh, we all make the the right decision. But, um, you know, I'll leave, uh, I'll leave the rest up to you guys. And uh, like I said, I'd love to hear your comments on, on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. And, um, I don't know, I, this is, like I said, this is a touchy subject, um, for us all, especially, you know, for me, when, um, I've witnessed firsthand over, over the years, guys cheat in the past and, uh, not get busted. And it really just pisses me off. And it's almost like, okay, what can I do to get them busted? Um, or, you know, these are just random thoughts coming to my head right now, but uh, when you have to cheat to win uh, and while the rest of us have to follow the rules and have to, um, you know, you know, when, when you're taking shortcuts, whether, whether you're baiting or whether you're trespassing or whether you're taking more than the legal limit, um, you know, the rest of the people who put a lot of blood, sweat, time and money into a passion um, I can, I can understand where, uh, where those guys are coming from too, who, who get, uh, taken advantage of and, uh, and then something like this happens. So, um, again, I'm a, I'm a proponent of second chances. I, I really haven't made my mind up on, on this particular thing yet. Um, you know, based off the podcast and I can only base it off this conversation. Um, he sounds like he's on the straight and narrow. He sounds like he's remorseful. Uh, he did mention that, uh, he was sorry after I stopped recording. He did mention that, 
you know, he was sorry and he was um, remorseful for the actions that he did. And uh, I guess only time will tell uh, from here. So again, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to this podcast and uh, huge shout out to Ripcord Deer Lab Exodus for making uh, this podcast possible. Uh, check me out on Twitter. Check me out on uh, Instagram. Check me out on Facebook. Remember to uh, go leave some comments. And uh, hopefully we can uh, continue this week out with a little bit more positive podcast. But I just felt like this was something that uh, might be uh, might be good for all of us to hear. I'd love to hear your comments. Have a good rest of your week.